0: Hebrews ten nineteen through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, This is God's word. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray together once again. God, thank you for the opportunity to gather as one family under Christ. And as we come now to your word, please open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text this morning in Hebrews 10:21 teaches us that Jesus is our great priest. We've sung about this and reflected on this over the course of the service so far, and Jesus' priesthood is one of the major themes throughout the course of the book of Hebrews, and the author develops it more and more throughout the letter. But how often do we pause and consider Jesus as our priest? My guess is that maybe for many of us, the thought of a priest ministering for us seems very much a part of the Old Testament and not the New. Perhaps it seems strange and foreign to us. Maybe something that used to be important but no longer is important, or something we no longer need or no longer even have. To the early readers of the book of Hebrews, however, it would have been obvious and unquestioned that a priest was needed to mediate between them and God, to, to go to God on their behalf. And while an apostle or a prophet moved from man, or from God toward man, a priest was the other way around. A priest moved from man toward God, representing the people before the Lord. In, in Hebrews 5 1, we get perhaps the closest thing we have in the book to a definition of, of priest in, in the book. It says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And so, for the original readers of this letter, it would have been clear that they needed such a priest. In fact, as they faced trials and persecutions for their Christian faith, it seems as though this, this group of people was considering going back to the old covenant ways, which would have included a priest regularly offering animal sacrifices on their behalf, making intercession before God. For us today, though, our temptation is probably not to leave Jesus behind and go back to the old covenant ways. Our temptation is all too often the opposite to move on from Jesus as our priest. We may feel like we don't need a priest. Why would we even want one? Perhaps a priest seems outdated or unnecessary. But Hebrews 3.1 tells us to consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. So part of what we must consider when we think about Jesus is his priesthood. He is our great priest. And so our text for this morning, chapter 10, verse 21, says, Since we have a great priest over the house of God. And so this morning we'll be considering exactly that. Jesus' priesthood on our behalf. And for us to understand as well the weight and the force of the exhortations that come in verses 22 to 25, we have to understand what verse 21 means. If we're going to understand what verses 22 to 25 teach us about being better together, the community of Christ, we have to know what verse 21's talking about when it says that we have a great priest Over the house of God. And this phrase is meant to bring up in our minds everything that's already been said in this letter about Jesus as our great priest. And so while I won't be taking us through every single aspect this morning uh, about Jesus' priesthood that the book of Hebrews mentions, I, I will trace this theme throughout the letter and bring out three of these key aspects of Jesus as our great high priest. And also how Jesus' priesthood serves as a foundation for our Christian community. Jesus is, indeed, our great priest. And the first of these aspects is that Jesus identifies with us in our weakness. Although he's high and exalted as the Son of God, in order to represent us before God as our great priest, he identifies with our frail humanity. And so two of the ways that he identifies with us in our weakness are through embodying humanity and experiencing temptation. Jesus embodied humanity. He took on human flesh. And we see this particularly in the end of chapter 2 in the letter. So if you have your Bible, please flip over there with me to chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. It says this, since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus embodied humanity. Verse 14 tells us that the children share in flesh and blood. It's talking about us, human beings. We human beings are not disembodied people. We have bodies. We are children of flesh and blood. And Jesus himself, although he is high and mighty and exalted, he partook of the very same things. He was made like his brothers in every respect. And yes, even he himself has suffered. Jesus' human nature is on display here. His true, fully human nature. That Jesus became human is a key truth for us. Jesus didn't come to seek out and save angels. He came to help the offspring of Abraham. He came to save human beings. And so he became human. So he could live as a human, so he could die as a human, so he could save humans. Embodying humanity is core to Jesus' work as our great priest. That the priests of the Old Testament would offer sacrifices of bulls and goats, but Jesus, as our better priest, offered his very body As our priest, Jesus identifies with us in our humanity. He is for us. And so he became human like us. This is the reality that John so eloquently describes in the opening words of his gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus identifies with us by becoming human like us. Take just a moment to wonder, to marvel, and to be astounded. And yes, even to be comforted at the lengths that Jesus went to identify with you. Do you feel rejected? Jesus was rejected, even by his own people. He knows. Do you feel grief or the pain of loss? Jesus wept at the death of his dear friend. He knows. Do you feel lonely and forgotten? Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was despised. He was esteemed not. He knows. Jesus, our great priest, embodied humanif- humanity that he might identify with you in your weakness. Jesus identifies with us in our weakness by embodying humanity and also by experiencing temptation. Part of Jesus' ministry as our great priest is that he knows what it's like to have been tempted. And in fact, during his time on earth, he, was, he experienced temptation just like you and I. Go and flip over, over to chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. It says this, Verse 15 reminds us that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. The the sympathy is not just in feeling the weight of our weaknesses, but in sharing in that weakness. Jesus is even able to help us in that weakness. And the reason that he's able to share and help in that weakness is that he has been in every respect tempted as we are. Jesus experienced temptation, every kind of temptation that we face. We may think specifically of Jesus in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. But surely Jesus also experienced temptation throughout the course of his life. We even see it right up to the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows what it's like to live in a world where temptation is constantly present. It's not foreign to him. He has been tempted in every way we are tempted, but with one difference of utmost importance, he was without sin. Jesus never gave in to temptation. He never succumbed to sin. He lived a perfect life. One of the things that this means is that he knows temptation even better than we do. When we experience temptation, we often release the pressure valve of that temptation by giving into it. We, we, it only lasts to a certain degree and for a certain amount of time because we fall into sin regularly, constantly, consistently, day by day. But Jesus never sinned and his temptation was never released. He resisted it all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. Yes, he knows temptation through and through. He identifies with our weakness. He experienced this temptation. And so when we come to him in our time of need, when we come to our great priest seeking mercy and grace that we so desperately need, he's not caught off guard. He doesn't run away from us in our sin. He can relate to us. His heart is brimming over with compassion. You can trust and have confidence that Jesus will respond with mercy and grace when, in faith, you bring your sin to Him. Sometimes we think we need to clean ourselves up before coming to Jesus. This is not the case. He knows temptation, He knows your weakness. And as Jesus Himself said, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Jesus identifies with us in our weakness, he embodied humanity and experienced temptation. He knows our frame. The popular show, Undercover Boss, is one where the main central idea is that a president or CEO or executive of a company will go in disguise and work in the menial day-to-day jobs that their company has. It might be cleaning bathrooms or organizing boxes or um, transporting items and making deliveries or dealing with unruly customers. And invariably, as this undercover boss goes about the day-to-day, they experience the trials and difficulties that their employees face. The normal things that happen day-to-day in a workplace are hard, and they experience that labor in a new and different way. They can relate much more deeply to the plight of their employees. And over the course of, of their time with these employees, their heart generally brims up with compassion For their employees. And at the end of the show, they take off their disguise, reveal themselves for who they really are, and they give wonderful gifts to their employees, perhaps college tuition or a new car or whatever is needed most in their employees' life. And it's because they've identified with their employees where they are in a new and fresh way. Jesus identifies with us in our weakness. But it's a little different than undercover boss because Jesus never goes in disguise. Jesus comes to us fully, arms open wide. He is the Son of God, unashamedly, open for you. And what's more, he never leaves. It's not as if he came down and dwelt among us and he is never with us again. In fact, as we'll see later, Jesus is always interceding for us. He is with you. He is for you. He knows you. He embodied humanity. He experienced temptation so he could identify with you and your weakness. He is our great priest. Well, Jesus identifies with us in our weakness, but Jesus also brings us to God in his holiness. This is the second aspect we'll consider about Jesus' priesthood. Jesus meets us where we are. He identifies with us in our weakness, but he doesn't just leave us there. He actually Part of his priestly ministry is not just to be with us, to identify with us. He actually brings us with him to God. He is the better priest because he can actually do this. He is holy and he brings us to God in that holiness. And we see this in his living perfection and in his constant intercession Jesus' living perfection is talked about in chapters 6 and 7. So you can turn with me there to chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. This is what they say. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. God is a holy God. He's perfect, unstained, lacking in nothing. But this is a major problem for sinful people like you and me. The separation between our sinfulness and God's holiness is such that we cannot enter into his presence in our sinful state on our own merit. And this separation between sinful people and holy God was represented in the temple, as we learned from Pastor Ben last week. There was the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelled, that was set apart and separated by a massive curtain, and only the high priest could enter, and even him, just once per year to make atonement for the sins of the people. It's clear that there is no way for sinful people to enter into God's presence on their own. But the author of Hebrews says that we do have something that gives us confidence. There is something that is a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Jesus has become our great high priest. He has entered into the inner place behind the curtain. He has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. He's gone ahead of us. He's walked the road ahead of us. He is our forerunner. And we learned last week that Jesus' blood is our all-access pass into God's presence, this new and living way. But when we travel through that way, we realize that Jesus, our forerunner, has gone before us and is drawing us in. It reminds me of when Jesus said to his disciples, in my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is our forerunner. He is our great priest. He has gone before us, and he brings us to God. This idea of Jesus' living perfection is continued in chapter 7, verses 26 to 28. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus is able to be our forerunner into God's presence because he is a high priest who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted among the heavens, The one who identifies with us in our weakness is the one who is rightly able to enter into the holy place. He is worthy to go there because he is the very son of God. Yes, the priests of the old covenant could help the people approach God by offering sacrifices on their behalf of animals, but they needed to offer these sacrifices first for their own sins and then for for those of the people. They were sinners, and so they needed to make atonement for their own sins before going before God on behalf of sinful people. But Jesus, as the better priest, has no need to offer any more sacrifices. Of course, not for himself, because he is sinless, nor for the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. The guilty could not die for the guilty, Only a perfect sacrifice can stand in the place of guilty sinners. So when Jesus offered up himself, he offered the perfect sacrifice for us. The one and done sacrifice for us. It's something only he could do. He is the better priest. What a wonderful, sure, steadfast anchor for our soul Something that keeps us steadfast even in the midst of the greatest challenges. Several years back, I went rock climbing with some friends in uh, northern Minnesota. We were right along Lake Superior and we came to the place where we were supposed to climb and there's 100 or 200 foot cliffs sharply over the edge directly into Lake Superior. And the climbing route is actually up those cliffs. But you actually start at the top and repelled down over the side of the cliff, and then you have to climb back up. And the way it works is that there, there are these bolts at the top of the cliff. They're called anchors, and they're sure and steadfast and solid. At least you hope when that happens. And so the person belaying clips their harness into that anchor, and then you clip into the rope, and I remember the feeling leaning back over the cliff And your heart stops for a moment, and you wonder if the anchor is going to hold. And sure enough, it did. It was sure and steadfast, and it held, even in the trickiest of circumstances. Jesus, as our priest, is this sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. He is the perfect sacrifice who can hold us fast even in the midst of the greatest challenges. When the times when you, so to speak, are, feel like you're leaning over the side of the cliff, what is below me, the anchor holds you firm. Jesus, our high priest, is a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. This ought to be a great encouragement for us to not move on from Jesus and his perfect sacrifice it's everything we could possibly need. And while these Hebrew Christians this letter was written to may have been tempted to go back to the animal sacrifices of the old covenant, we are so often tempted to move beyond Jesus to something new. When we sense that gap between our sinful selves and a holy God, how easy it is us is it for us to look past Jesus and to move past him to something else as an anchor? It can be how well we perform at our job, or how good that semester grade report is, how good our family looks to our friends. We seek to justify ourselves in ways other than Jesus, but we don't need to go any further. It is finished. It is done. He and his sacrifice is the anchor that our souls need. Jesus' living perfection cuts through all of our attempts to move past him. He is our high priest, and he's already offered the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. He offered his very self. It's enough. It's final. There's no need for anything else. He truly has brought us to God, and we can place our trust and our confidence firmly in him, Jesus brings us to God in his living perfection, but also in his constant intercession. Jesus is constantly praying, constantly interceding for his people before the Father. This is part of his present ministry for us. Looking again at chapter 7 in verses 23 to 25, it says, "...the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office." but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. The high priest under the old covenant took that role for life. He ministered as a high priest throughout all his days, but when he died, a new priest had to come in and take on that role. Jesus, however, is a better priest since he brings us to God through constant intercession. He lives eternally and so he's able to continue his priestly ministry forever. It does not end. And this means that he is able to save to the uttermost. In this this verse, it's not so much the depth to which he can save, but the duration. His salvation is eternal. It does not end. Because Jesus continues forever. And this, this is good news. The very one who identifies with us in our weakness, but brings us to God in his holiness. It's it's Jesus, the same one who will always be there to intercede on our behalf. Jesus is intercession for us is a very important piece of his ministry. We often think about what Jesus did for us. He died on the cross and rose again for us. We may even think about what he will do for us with his second coming and the eternity that we can spend with God. But what about right now? What is Jesus doing for us in the present? He is interceding for us. He's praying for us. And what this means is that Jesus is always bringing his perfect life, his atoning death, and resurrection from the dead before the Father on behalf of believers. As the hymn writer puts it, Christ, the incarnate God, ascended, pleads the merit of his blood. Venture on him. Venture wholly. Let no other trust intrude. By his very praying, Jesus brings us to God in his holiness. What an encouragement this is to us who are sinners. Yes, we sin day by day, but Christ, as our great priest, never lets go. He's always praying for us. As Dane Ortlund puts it in his book, Gentle and Lowly, Note the blessed realism of the Bible. This is an explicit acknowledgement that we Christians are ongoing sinners. Christ continues to intercede on our behalf in heaven because we continue to fail here on earth. He does not forgive us through his work on the cross and then hope we make it the rest of the way. Nortland continues, Picture a glider pulled up into the sky by an airplane soon to be released to float down to earth. We are that glider Christ is the plane, but he never disengages. He never lets go, wishing us well, hoping we can glide the rest of the way into heaven. He carries us all the way. What a comfort this is. Christian, know that even in those moments when you think you're too far from God to come to him, when you think you are way too bad, that you are far too sinful to commune with him, that you are too dirty or too stained, Jesus himself still stands as your high priest. He is praying for you, pleading the merit of his blood before the Father, bringing his pierced hands and pierced side and the blood that flowed from them before the Father saying, I am the perfect sacrifice, accept my work, In place of them, he pleads his blood for us. So take courage in those moments and cling to this truth as a sure and steadfast anchor for your soul that Jesus himself is interceding for you and he will never let you go. The first image we have in verse 21 is that Jesus is our priest, but then we also have the image of the house of God. We have a great priest over the house of God. And so this is looking back to the beginning of chapter three, verses one to six. So you can go ahead and turn there with me if you'd like. Chapter three begins, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of much more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And the original readers of this letter would have respected and honored Moses as perhaps foremost in Jewish history. He faithfully led the people of God out of Egypt. He delivered the law to them, and he wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. But the author of Hebrews says that that Jesus is actually worthy of more glory than Moses because Moses was part of God's house, but Jesus built the house. And what is this house? It's those of us who belong to God. Verse 6 goes on to tell us, And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. It's not a specific place, but a people. God's people are his house. And so this begs the question, are you part of God's people? All of these benefits and blessings of Jesus as your great high priest are yours If your confidence and your boasting and your hope are in him alone. If you have yet to trust in Christ, consider Jesus, our great priest. He is the one who identifies with you in your weakness and he is able to know and understand you like none other. And he is also the one who can bring you to God in his holiness. No one else will do. He is the perfect sacrifice who intercedes for his own. He is the one who you can call your own. Put your hope in him. And for those of us who are believers, root your confidence more deeply than ever in Jesus Christ. Boast in what he's done for you and even in what he continues to do for you. He is worthy of all the confidence and all the boasting and all the hope that we could ever give. He knows your frame, yet brings you to the Father even so. And he is the one who is over us, he is over his house. What a wonderful head to have! What a wonderful Savior to celebrate! What a wonderful priest to trust. And so as we think again about chapter 10, verse 21, we have a great priest over the house of God. These are the things that should be ringing up in our ears and welling up in our hearts. That Jesus, our great priest, identifies with us in our weakness. He embodied humanity and experienced temptation. He is a great priest because he knows what it's like to be human. But along with this, Jesus Brings us to God in His holiness. His living perfection and constant intercession give us confidence that our hope is secure if He is our priest. And Jesus rules over us as His house, His glory, the beauty of Him, being part of His people. And as we consider these things, may our hearts well up with thankfulness that we have such a priest. And may our confidence to come before God only grow as we remember everything that our priest does for us. We do indeed have a great priest. And his name is Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you that Jesus is our great priest. And please help us to trust in him evermore, day by day, and to root our confidence more deeply in him, because he knows us, yet he brings us to you, God, and we thank you for him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.